0: Hey, everybody, welcome to another Nacho Tuesday. And today, here I have Krish with me uh, with Fireflies.ai. And we're going to be talking about chat GPT and GPT 3 in general, as well as AI and the future it has in the market, in the uh, workplace today. Uh, So, without further ado, I'd love to uh, uh, have Krish introduce his company and a, a little bit about his background.
1: Hi, Andy. Thank you for having me on. I think this is a very exciting topic given the prominence of everything that's going on in the market right now, especially for folks. Uh, Whether you're looking into AI or not, I think it's permeating every aspect of the tech industry and also later on to other industries. Um, Sure, I'll start with a quick background on myself and uh, the company. So I'm Chris Ramanini, co-founder and CEO at Fireflies.ai. We build an AI assistant that joins your meetings and it takes notes, summarizes everything and analyzes your conversations. And recently we've been working with a lot of interesting aspects of ChatGPT and incorporating that into our core technology and products here at Fireflies. Very neat.
0: Uh, What kind of uh, use cases do you have for ChatGPT within your own company?
1: For one, what we released was this thing called Ask Fred and making our AI assistant interactive rather than just this assistant that joins your meetings and sits quietly on those conversations. We wanted to have a way for people to retrieve knowledge and information a lot faster after a call. So instead of having to just go and search by keywords or skim through a transcript, and those transcripts are pretty awfully long, right? Several pages. What if you can just ask Fred questions about the meeting? How many seats did the customer want to purchase? What were objections that were brought up on the call? What were strengths that the candidate said that they were good at versus weaknesses or lack of experience in certain areas? So all of these sort of questions that you would ask your own business admin or your secretary or your teammates, it's the same concept here where Fred is paying attention to those meetings. He's not only transcribing and summarizing them, but he actually understands those meetings and he understands the questions you're going to ask him. just like how you can ask GPT any sort of question, we're tailoring our use case, very hyper-focused around conversations and meetings, and uh, giving you an assistant that gives you back answers to questions that would take you maybe several minutes or hours to find or to dig through in a matter of a few seconds.
0: That's great. So how, how did you guys arrive at the name Fred? I know it's kind of a separate question, but <laughs> um, it's interesting. I haven't heard that name in a
1: while, so it really stands out. One thing we saw when we saw the market of AI assistants, one thing we realized is there's a lot of this, I think, stereotyping that, oh, it has to be an AI assistant, that it has to be a, like a female name, uh, mm-hmm. but we wanted to go beyond those gender norms and say, mm-hmm. hey, let, let's do something different. And uh, why does it just have to you know, be stereotyped as like a female assistant or secretary, which I think there's a lot of historical you know, context in the workplace. And we want to change that narrative, I think. Uh, mm-hmm women are doing amazing thing in the workplace uh you know side note most of our investors happen to be female uh which is also very interesting there uh so yeah with that um narrative we said let's just find a name that starts with f and fits with fireflies it was that simple and uh we went with fred fireflies and uh it stuck
0: oh that's kind of fun all right love the backstory there Um, so yeah, many companies are hesitant about AI today, you know, everybody's talking about it, but nobody knows how to really implement a strategy to put that in place. So what would you say to them if they're hesitant about that concept?
1: I think with AI, there's definitely several challenges depending on what areas you're focusing on. It also matters if you're an enterprise company versus a, let's say mid-market or consumer type product. So there's a lot of variation in terms of what you can actually achieve with AI, right? So, I think one is we're still in the very early stages, right, with context, accuracy, uh, the quality of the data that you're gonna get. How much data are you gonna need to input? How do you keep it, uh, you know, trained within the confines of what you're doing? So, especially with large language models, there's also these bigger questions that companies have to think about around copywriting, Uh, gray area around, okay, who is actually has ownership over this content? So if you are writing code or you're having AI that writes code for you, is it taking open source code or is it taking other co- code from somewhere else? So specific to chat and GBT enabled technology and generative AI, that is a challenge that I would see uh, where people are thinking about how do I control this thing? Cause it's a black box. I don't know what output it can bring out. And we've also seen with AI and generative AI specifically, how it can hallucinate, it can give you answers that seem sort of real, but are very incorrect. So these are all things that people have to think about. And I think we're in the very, very early stages, just like when cloud software came out or when the iPhone apps came out in the early days, you'd have like some of the most like gimmicky apps back in the day. Uh, And then you eventually got to real solid use cases that leveraged the, the technology. Like when you look at Instagram and Snapchat, like the, using the camera really as a vantage point, or when you have Uber and uh, DoorDash, these sort of companies where you're using GPS as a really tangent point. So we are still in the very, very early days. And my suggestion or what I've learned is you have to pick a problem that you wanna solve. And we are very far away from this general AGI problem uh, uh, technology. So it makes sense for enterprises to pick specific problems that they want to solve and how can they rebuild their solutions or supercharge their solutions with AI. So those are the things that people have to dis- decide on or think about.
0: Yeah, the uh, the CEO of Hawk AI, Dave, I interviewed him a couple of weeks ago. He mentioned that uh, it's it's an efficiency tool mostly. You can't totally rely on it, but use it to do some of the heavy lifting and uh, using the 80-20 rule, right? So you have to have a human in the loop. You have to be involved. Make sure there's quality control there. Uh, you could have AI do some of the heavier lifting, especially with some of the new tools that are coming out that are actually you know, pretty decent tools, actually. Um, you still have to have a human in the loop, uh, making sure that it's good quality content, like you mentioned. Uh, it's not ripping it off from somewhere else. And I know a couple of tools have actually popped up that can identify if content's been written in chat with ChatGPT3. Uh, can you maybe dive into that and how those
1: work? Yeah, so there's a few technologies that have been put out there that can detect if this was AI generated or not. Uh, OpenAI themselves have a interesting watermark technique, and they've released as well their own tools to detect that there was Quillbot and some other tools as well, that could detect that specifically for plagiarism, I can clearly see in universities and high schools when people are writing papers, and then they're just having the chat GPT generate them. Yes, there's definitely uh, an opportunity for misuse. But even there like even google we have to see like how they think about content and will they penalize content that is generative versus are they going to be okay with it like normal content or is there a middle layer where you can use ai to help you brainstorm and come up with stuff and then you have to go back and curate and edit the way a human would so i think of it as more as a productivity uh, angle as well The other thing is the really big breakthrough in this space today has been around writing content. So you have some of the bigger names like Jasper who have kind of come out and said, okay, we're gonna focus on this. And they're doing a great job around focusing on content. Uh, That's also where you have some of the gray area for companies that are working on content versus where we're working on knowledge retrieval, automating tasks, like can Fireflies go into your CRM and fill out your CRM, right? It's a very specific task but it's really around business productivity. We wanna focus on that work angle. Whereas when you're writing content, there also is a lot of leeway for the gray areas, right? Okay, is it plagiarized? Is it stealing? Is it looking at these sort of things? Um, Even when I'm talking to folks from OpenAI, literally the sky is the limit in terms of what they can do from a technology point of view, but data is the constraining point, right? So if you wanna train it on books, a lot of the books are not going to be um, in public domain, right? Maybe you can train it on like public domain stuff, but what stuff are you not allowed to? Or images, right? You can't just go take uh, images from another source that are watermarked that you didn't get proper licensing for. So the data constraints is where this can go wild. And imagine if you're using these sort of coding tools And it's pulling code from like other applications, and especially when you're writing code, attributions, licensing, super, super important, right? So there's a whole host of other challenges that come up with generating content. And so for now, at least at Fireflies, we said, let's solve two really big problems. One is knowledge retrieval. And we're starting with meetings because that is where a lot of that knowledge is buried. And we've been solving this even before generative AI, open AI, all of this chat GPT sort of technology. So how can we help people go through a one hour meeting in five minutes? That was like the crux of what we started and knowledge retrieval just gets faster and smarter. Thanks to ask Fred and some of the generative AI uh, implementations that we have put. So I think generative AI is like a blanket bucket. I think the term needs to change, but there are many more things you can do other than just generating content. You can automate tasks. You can have it, uh, pull in information. It can answer questions. It can surface different citations. So I I would be very keen to see other use cases beyond just let me write content for you uh, and then you risk plagiarism.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, college kids these days are probably having a lot of fun with it. Yeah, back in my day, um, everybody would use the uh, TI-83 calculators and maybe code something in there (laughs) or have something on the back panel. Uh, Not me, but uh, you'd see people next to you in the uh, testing room. They'd be pulling their calculator up all the time. You're like, like, I see what you're doing. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean, even back then when I was submitting essays in high school, I was using turnitin.com, right? -hmm. And how are you citing your sources? That was something that existed uh, for a long time. Um, And likewise, there is this other thing with um, when you are looking at writing code in classrooms, right? Your professor is going to submit for your computer science classes, submit your problem, uh, problem sets or whichever you're working on, your midterms and they're going to go do a code check to see if your code is very similar or identical. And yeah. it can set off false positives. Yeah. It's going to lead to a whole host of new discussions around that. I think that's a rabbit hole we can save for another day. But yes, the these are all very...
0: Overflow. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I found the exact page too. That's fine. <laughs> so uh, what do you think's next? I guess what other kind of AI tools are out there as well? I, I like that you guys really focus on a niche. Um, it sounds like you know, a a particular problem that you're solving is very, you know, you're very focused on it, It seems like a very repeatable system. Uh, Whereas, you know, content writing, as you mentioned, can be very subjective, and there's a lot of gray areas. Uh, What other reliable uses can you see for AI today, given where the technology's at, uh, not getting too far ahead of ourselves?
1: Yeah, so other use cases that I would see are really around what you can do to complete actions. So these actions can be beyond just generating output, text outputs, they can be going and doing an RPA flow, right? Like actually going and doing certain actions. For example, I saw some really cool tool out there that can, uh, when I just give it a command, it can go and purchase something for me on Amazon. Right? So that is an action that that was done where you can theoretically turn voice commands into code commands, and then it would go and do those actions on the system, right? So, generating content is not just words. It can generate tables. It can generate code snippets. Uh, we've also seen from code to or text to images. So, it's going to be multimodal right, in terms of what you can do uh, in terms of these outputs. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think the sky is the limit there. One of the things that I saw recently today was where uh, I can scribble an image and then feed it into a model and it will. Illustrate that model. So now I'm not just like giving it instructions, saying go paint a ocean with whales, right? I can literally draw it and say, hey, here's an ocean with whales. Just make it better. So I'm giving multiple input data uh, inputs, right? So that's another thing that I that I that I can think about. Even at Fireflies, like how we think about summarization, everyone has a different style of summaries. So how can we allow people to customize the way that they take notes? Uh, And I think that's one area where generative AI is very valuable is because in the past, you needed millions of data points, hundreds of thousands of data points. You needed to uh, model those things properly, fine tune those things, you risk overfitting. So there's all of these other challenges. Now you can do single shot learning, zero shot learning uh, with generative AI, where I give it just a few samples and it can do a really good job of mimicking or copying. And people have seen this with generative AI as well, like where, Uh, With copywriting, they'll be like, hey, write this mission statement from the tone of Steve Jobs. So it does a pretty good job of those sort of things, right? But I think there's just a lot more out there. 90% of what's out in the market today, a lot of it is more this consumer fun sort of use cases that people have put out. I think there is yet to be like really strong use cases for the enterprise and like the workspace, which is what we're focused on. And so for consumer, it's hard for me to gauge what will happen. I think the AI avatars that came out like Lenza and some of these other companies did were absolutely phenomenal. They generated millions of dollars of revenue. It was a great, great growth strategy for those companies to do that. Uh, but consumer is really about timing the trends and what what people are going to be able to do. Maybe there's a whole new social media app that can be built around generative AI that makes it fun. Or some of these larger companies will incorporate it into the things that we already do today. Right? When you're writing Gmail uh, and you're writing emails on Gmail, you will get like auto suggestions. Right? That's a, that's a great example of uh, generative AI, and that's been happening for a few years now. So uh, yeah, it'll be hard to see, but we'll see where it goes.
0: Well, the use of Grammarly, of course, <laughs> it's always good for yeah. double checking your work. Um, but Absolutely. yeah, sometimes it misses the context, so you can't take it, you know, you can't take it 100% for everything it recommends. <laughs> um, so yeah. what's next for chat uh, for, say, GPT-4? Um, what do you think is going to be in that and what's beyond that?
1: So I have been looking into and there's the rumor mill is endless, so I don't want to add to the rumor mill. Uh, one thing that I would love to know and see is how much new data is going to be utilized for GPT-4 and what are the things that GPT-4 can do in terms of computations, in terms of intelligence. One of my biggest beliefs, and this might be counterintuitive to what a lot of people talk about, but this phrase prompt engineering that has come up and how people have said it's gonna be its own field and uh, we're gonna have these prompt whisperers who know how to say the right things to get the right output out of AI. Um, To be honest, I think that we may not even need prompt engineering in a few years, and I think that is just right now a void to fill while the systems and technology get better. And eventually, the system will understand right that it can generate a great output, and it's not just you phrasing a word in a certain way or adding a certain word and taking out another word. I don't. I don't really. I don't buy into the whole prompt engineering narrative as a career field. At least for now. Maybe I could be wrong, but that's something I don't um, quite buy into. Uh, purely on the basis that the technology is going to get incredibly better. Uh, We'll have to see what's going to happen, right? This stuff with ChatGPT, GPT-3 was just in a one-year, two-year timeframe. Now, it's hard to predict what's going to happen in five years, but if some technology like GPT-4 is trained on way more parameters and it can do more things on top of that and the responses get better and it's able to also fact-check itself better, provide citations, uh, from a user experience point of view, all of those things will make it less likely for someone to have to worry about like the prompt engineering aspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also this uncertainty part, like there's a temperature field that you can uh, change to see like how much randomness do you want in the out- output, how much entropy, right? And even there, I think with the way the systems are being built and how how we're how we're getting to the outputs that we want. Uh, it'll be very customizable. And uh, I don't think that um, we're very far away from something that just gets progressively better. Now, is GPT-4 gonna be like 10X better than GPT-3? Probably not, Like, so we should taper our expectations. But if we see an incremental shift in the value of the outputs, that's still a good starting point.
0: That's a good point. Yeah, I think um, AI was kind of, kind of a buzzword up until chat GPT-3. And I think that's why it's so profound. Um, Because there's a lot of companies bullying themselves as doing AI, uh, but until the last year, you know, companies like yours and others that really, you know, dialed in the technology and I think have really improved upon it. And chat GPT-3, I think it just made it popular, right? So I think it really, you know, just shocked people with what it can do. And so I'm really excited, you know, for the future of, you know, GPT-4 and uh, AI to see, you know, what companies like like yours does and other companies in the field are able to pull off uh, successfully using the technology
1: one thing i will add is that the gpt playground has been there for quite some time before even Chad gpt we're fortunate to have the same investors as OpenAI, so we actually got early access into their program and we've been playing around with this technology and really implementing it over the past one year so it wasn't something that just happened over the last two months when everyone saw it and yeah. thought about it it's been something we've been thinking deeply about from our summarization to our entire tech stack as a whole had conversations with the OpenAI team. So our investors, Coastal Ventures, happen to be early investors in OpenAI. So I've been actually watching that trend. And in Mm -hmm. fact, when we were choosing our Series A investors, uh, one of the things we said is, hey, this OpenAI, generative AI stuff could be valuable in like a year from now. Um, Maybe we should weigh that. And that was something I had said casually, and it turns out to be a really big thing. So um, talk about being at the right place at the right time. That's a good example of that and uh, we've seen this and we've been playing around with all the things that ChatGPT has been doing uh, through their playground for over a year now. Oh, and my. what is incredible is that just a simple UI change, interface change, where you, which you get with ChatGPT, because the underlying technology is still the same. Uh, it's the other original platform was more developer friendly. This one is now more user friendly <laughs> or anything like that. So that just showed you like how that was the difference between uh, where the original GPT Playground was versus now with GB, uh, Chat GPT having 100 million users. So sometimes you don't need these 100x changes. It's these little incremental tweaks mm-hmm. that could make it very viable.
0: Yeah, and it seems like they're kind of working under the hood for a long time too, right? And so th- I think their launch was spectacular. You know, They came out the right way. Um, there's a there's something to be said about not launching too quickly, just making sure the technology's all dialed in. And I, I think that's what they've really done. They've probably worked with a lot of partners like you uh, and other companies really understanding the use cases for their technology. You know, like you like you mentioned, working with them over a year, uh, other companies possibly even longer. And, you know, finally launching that consumer friendly version to get, you know, the viral buzz going about the product, you know, I think it was an excellent execution on, on a product launch there.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So tell us about uh, how your company got founded and uh, where did the idea come from?
1: For us, Fireflies was one of many iterations or the version that we're on today. But we always had this belief that there is knowledge buried inside conversations. And one of the first things that we actually built was this email extension that would theoretically look at all my emails and tell me which emails I should prioritize based on what was being said at those emails. Back then there was no GPT-3. Now that idea seems pretty plausible, right? With the technology that's out there. So we were a little ahead of our times. We were a little ambitious then. Then the next tool that we built was a Chrome extension that could track what I'm sending in terms of messages on different platforms, LinkedIn, Messenger, iMessage, all of these platforms. And anytime I made a promise or a task for myself, like, hey, I'll follow up with you about these plans or this meeting in a few days, or let me get back to you after I review the slide deck. Any of those, those sort of commitments I make over email or messaging. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yes, it would automatically create a to-do list based on the things that I was saying. So that was like another idea, right? Like the theme has always been consistent around what can we take that's actionable out our conversations? And so as we were working on those and, you know, there's a technology piece to it, there's a user adoption piece to it. We said, look, we need to look at a field where The market opportunity is massive. And we need to look at a field where the entry point is where it's a no-brainer. And there isn't even like the basic technology out there that you could leverage it. For email, at least I can go back to an email I sent three years ago. But for a meeting, I can't go back to a meeting I had two hours ago. That's the difference. So we said, let's just build a knowledge base uh, around meetings, capture all the meetings, transcribe them, store them, make them searchable, index them, basic point. And then, okay, what else can we do? We can summarize meetings, great. We can start doing analytics on meetings, doing sentiment analysis, telling you how much someone spoke on a meeting versus someone else, telling you when your competitors were being discussed or when objections were brought up or when pricing was discussed or when action items were showing up in meetings. So we took the learnings of all of the other technologies we did over email, over Slack, over uh, the messaging, the Chrome extension. And that led to the Fireflies that is there today. So we've had been working on chatbots several years ago, even back to like 2016, we've been playing around with Slack bots when it was first new on the Slack ecosystem. What's interesting now is almost after five, six years of where we started mm-hmm. uh, with those sort of technologies, all of that now seems feasible, right? And where conversation interfaces are truly possible, right? Where the conversational interface, natural language is the new interface. I, I Really think that that's what this thing has opened up in terms of the opportunity that is out there. So these are these are fantastic stuff, um, and that also gives a little scope for you know Fireflies. Our ambitions. We want to be multimodal. Like we want to go beyond meetings. I think meetings are the hardest because yeah. you have to do all the other things to capture it: accuracy, transcription, all of that. But there's no reason we couldn't take the same sort of conversation intelligence and generative AI capabilities and apply it to all of your conversational streams right emails mm-hmm. support tickets messaging etc maybe
0: maybe finding common patterns between all the, all those conversations as well too Like maybe yeah. you're constantly complaining about you know a certain keyword or subject and you could you know quantify that actually and realize that you have a maybe a pricing problem or what have you
1: right i mean hypothetical let's say i'm talking to a company let's say microsoft right hypothetical uh, and i want to know every time we talked about partnerships and like what were some of the key things that person x said related to the partnerships i can go do that instantly now through the fireflies meetings right like the recaps and summaries and transcripts but there might have been some important items that are hidden or buried inside email conversations we've had or other exchanges we've had over linkedin so uh, if we can stitch all that data together, that could be great as well, right? So context switching could be really, really um, cumbersome, and this could save time there.
0: Yeah, I mean, communication is the core for business, right? And it's uh, a lot of people aren't very good at it, <laughs> and especially between meetings, emails, a lot gets lo- lost between the cracks. And you know, I think that's a you know what you guys are working on there is a perfect solution, which could help businesses become a lot more efficient, which you know is ultimately the goal at the end of the day.
1: Efficiency is also directly correlated to breaking down silos, yep. and a lot of times, miscommunication, lack of communication, are the biggest barriers in a large organization. And we're still a small startup; we're about a hundred people, so it's not yep. massive. Like, let's say a company that has thousand or ten thousand people, so but even there, yeah, it's uh, it's the communication gaps that happen. Why are things that should be happening in a matter of minutes and hours taking weeks? Why are people scheduling, hey, follow-up calls for certain things that don't need to be follow-ups? That could have been an email, that could have been a message, that could have been something, you could have just looked at a Fireflies recap and confirmed some decision. Mm -hmm. So the amount of time people waste in meetings and this like, let's get everyone on the same page Mm -hmm. part, we've automated that, right? So I can have a meeting and I can just share the recap with people. You wanna get on the same page? Go use Fireflies. We don't need to have another meeting, bring in people, and repeat the same stuff over again. So we have that very like similar culture in terms of how we operate and we're fully remote. So context switching and silos are gonna be even harder to address in these sort of circumstances because everything is remote. You're not seeing in person. There's not a lot of tribal knowledge that's passed around in person. So we have to document everything. We have to use fireflies to store everything. So when a new person comes in, let's say they're in sales or something, I say, hey, here's the last like 10 best conversations we've had with customers, sales calls, go ahead and review them. I've also left comments in there. And I've marked important parts of the calls. And uh, there's tips on what you can do. Now I've automated training, right for all future employees. If we have a new engineer coming in, they want to know about our infrastructure our stack and like why we made certain technology decisions over others. Well, they can look at into some of our planning meetings that we've had or design things or engineering things and then leverage that information right there. So I don't want to have to repeat myself 100 times, which is I still do like doesn't matter, like where I'm at. Yeah. How can I just have, say it once, and then be propagated shared uh, to a 1000 different places and get everyone on the same page. So whether we've solved everything we needed to or not, I think that one mission that we've said is like, it's a mission, you can build a lifetime of businesses around is how can you improve the trade off between Communication and actually doing the work. And this is one of my reasons where I look at organizations where they bring in these consultants and people to (laughs) strategize and think and talk. Really, like action is based on context and context Mm -hmm. is king. But you don't need to just have one person at the top or manager have all the context. You can give every person in the org context. And for us, that's like the way to get everyone on the same page. If you want to get on the same page, just use Fireflies look at the notes, review everything. You will be 10X smarter after going through that than having to spend six weeks scheduling follow-up meetings with each and every person on the org to try to get up to speed. That's just one example. Yeah.
0: Yep, I think everybody's gonna be on the same boat there. Less meetings, I'm sold. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I had this um, I had, um, This could have been an email and uh, that was like something that I think was actually the starting point for thinking about Fireflies. Where do I spend so much of my time, especially as a product manager at Microsoft before uh, Fireflies, that's like meetings, like back to back to back and better or worse, like the best PMs are able to like minimize meetings and actually think, talk to customers, understand problems and solve things. But a lot of times many PMs are just glorified secretaries uh, or they believe that the value that they create is in organizing meetings and sending the meeting notes. That's the thing that I think should be automated and you should be spending more time thinking and solving problems. So yeah, that's, uh, that's actually could be one of the, you know, the, the fires that lit, that lit under us to want to start Firefox. Yep.
0: I love the name. Um, yeah, it sounds like a great founder story too, right? You know, usually when I, when I talk to founders, the, uh, the ones with the best ideas are usually the ones solving problems that they've come across in their regular, you know, everyday work life where they realize it's a bigger problem that a lot of other people have. So, you know, that, that kind of a problem skills, especially when you're, you know, close to it and really understand what the problem is. Um, I guess so, uh, I really appreciate your time today and I would love to learn about, I, I actually ask you, you know, what, uh, why should people choose Fireflies, I guess, over, say, a, a potential competitor platform? I mean, aside from all the great stuff that you just shared with us today and Uh, Obviously, uh, less meetings and, you know, more, uh, you know, better communication and more consistency within the organization. You know, obviously I'm sold, uh, but what would you say to everybody else that's watching this webinar right now?
1: When we started Fireflies, the goal for us was to democratize AI for everyone. And whether you're an engineer or a salesperson or a knowledge worker, it should be accessible, it should be affordable, and it should be something that every person inside an organization can use. So there are technologies and tools in this conversation intelligence space that will only focus on sales and sell top-down enterprise, right? That sort of thing is there. We have seen Fireflies being used inside an organization and going end-to-end, right? It may start with your salespeople using it, then your product people use it, then your engineers use it. So long story short, Fireflies, we have built this product where we focus on the core things that do it really, really well. So whether it's joining meetings across several different platforms, right? Beyond just Zoom, Google Meet, Microsoft Teams, Webex, we made sure that it's accessible across eight plus platforms. We support several systems that we integrate deeply with. So if you're a big person on workflows and bringing technology into where you already work. So I can have my meeting and then I can have my notes sent to my Slack channel. I can have a customer call and then I can have my Salesforce or HubSpots here. I'm automatically updated. So that workflows piece uh the ability to use it anywhere and everywhere are big driving factors and then the third part is really around focusing on the core technology making the transcription incredibly good making sure that the summaries get good and keep working on bettering that stuff the things that that matter to users and then also if you are looking at fireflies compared to maybe some other enterprise type products you'll realize oh fireflies has soft two security so which is like what enterprise products need Oh, they have analytics and intelligence. They do video recording, we do channels. So they kind of go through these checklists and wow, this is a no brainer. Mm-hmm. I don't wanna be paying you know, $200 per seat or $150 per seat for some enterprise grade platform where I can't even try it out and I have to talk to their like sales team and I have to be locked into these long contracts. Uh, we have saved customers tens of thousands of dollars simply for switching to Firefly. So especially in a market like this with the recession and stuff, if you're getting ninety percent plus value with all the generative AI stuff that we're doing, that many companies are not even touching today, um, I think it's a it's a compelling offer and something we stand behind.
0: I agree, and uh, you know your products come highly recommended, and uh, you you as well as an entrepreneur as well. So it's great to uh, finally meet you uh, live <laughs> and uh, introduce your company to everybody. Um, I think what you guys are working on is very powerful. So I'm excited to see what what you guys do next, and anybody else interested in having better communication within their organization um, and helping better scale their companies with a, at an affordable price, of course. Um, you could find Krish's amazing product in our marketplace uh, for 15% off lifetime value. And you know, like every other product in the marketplace, uh, Nacho Nacho is the best place to manage, discover and save on SaaS. Um, we have a ton of great products like is here. So uh, please go check it out today and uh, uh, feel free to share this and let more people know about his powerful technology that he's building. Uh, Chris, thanks again. I I know we went a little over today, but I appreciate your time and uh, appreciate you having me on Nacho Tuesday.
1: Of course. And we're happy to be uh, on here and also working with you guys. So thank you.
0: Great. Thank you so much.